on Buy, Hold, Sell, we love to have guests come on and give us their forecast for 2024. But our guest today is actually going to turn the tables. He's not going to give us a price target on the S&P, but he actually has some forecasts out there that I think is going to leave a lot of people scratching their heads. Welcome, everyone, to Buy, Hold, Sell. I am your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I am and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Tobin Smith, out in sunny and what he is saying is cold Scottsdale, Arizona. It's cold, yeah. damn it. It's cold. Toby, I just look. It's 55 degrees, Toby. It's I mean, not, come on. It's it almost great? under 40 degrees. That never happened. Okay, all right. Whatever. Well, what a bunch of wusses you guys are. You're 40 yes. degrees and you've got a space heater probably under your desk. <laughs> He's got a space heater right there. He's got a blanket. He's got the whole thing going well, on. I also have, right there. <laughs> I also have the heater is broken down. Okay, so that's why I'm a big wuss puss. Well, we have David Nelson joining us today. He is the Bell Point Chief Strategist. He's also host of the Money Runner podcast. Definitely want to go check that out. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as the show goes on. But David, I do want to welcome you to Buy, Hold, Sell. I got to start with you, though, on this, because when I asked you for a price target on the S&P 500, you said that's malarkey. Why would I give such a thing? Now you're now you're coming out thinking, well, we might actually have a recession in 2024. Can you explain for the audience? Look, this is a day by day process. You know, this is a battle. All right. We're in a war. We fight it every day. We get new information every day for me to put a target on the market where it's going to be 12 months from now. Look around the planet. Every corner of the planet is a geopolitical hotspot. We have we're knee deep into two wars. We're going to be issuing a lot of debt. But on the other side of it, we got some pretty exciting technologies like artificial intelligence, which will clearly be the biggest investment theme of my lifetime. So how can I put a target on the market where it's going to be 12 months from now? I've got to, got to take it day by day, take my shots and try to make some money. Well, I'll tell you, uh, David, to your point, AI. So we, one portfolio we run started the last year, thank you very much, uh, was the AI picks and, and shovels. And of these 10 stocks, eight of them hit either all-time highs in the last two days or, you know, 52-week highs. And today I'm looking at the screen and, Pan, you know, PMW, Penn Network, uh, Arista, you know, AVGO, Broadcom. In my opinion, these mega caps and Microsoft, and they are the safe play. If you were going to make, a, 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 you know, a bold prediction here, I'm going to say that if I was back running a, a money market, I mean, a mutual fund or a hedge fund, and I would be telling my traders and guys saying, listen, uh, uh, David Nelson, a very smart guy, says he doesn't know what the F's going on in you know day by day. So let's go with the things that we absolutely know are going on. And, uh, and in our surveys of CEOs, high, mid, and low, 100% have allocated a significant amount of their IT budget to integrating forms of AI. So I'm going. I think I think that's the I think that's a, a clear point. You know, I, I would say it's even bigger than that. Uh, I think it's going to be the biggest investment theme of my career. I think it's really important for viewers to lean into the technology. Don't be yeah. afraid of it, because if history shows us anything, it shows those that adopt technology usually move on. Those that try to resist it end up on the wayside. I think perhaps some of the biggest beneficiaries of this technology will be the thousands of companies that embrace the technology to enhance the top and bottom line. I can think of a handful of companies right now, look at GM, they're using it for fall protection on their assembly lines. They have cameras looking at the robots. They can predict what the robot is gonna break down on a company like John Deere. Why would anybody oh, yeah. think that John Deere could use AI? They actually have artificially controlled camera, excuse me, artificial intelligence software cameras 
looking at the ground and determining the difference between a weed and a crop and spraying no only the weeds. That's it, not it, just a, a, that's an, a, that's an enormous benefit to, to, to mankind. It's a health benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, t I'll tell you this, I, I'm an investor, people know, in a company called Versus AI. It's now a public company, um, but I'm still on the board and stuff. OMG, when you look at the law profession, uh, you know, if you had an assistant because you're trying to say, hey, assistant, go look at the 435 briefs on this thing and give me a summation and then then I'll take it and I'll redline it and then you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the largest law firm in the world uh, is using this worst versus technology. And they have 180 different offices in 104 countries. And every time they have a big legal brief that comes out, it has to be translated into you know all the major 10, 12 languages. And, and those lawyers go for about 400 to 500 grand a year because they speak Swahili and they speak English and, and you know, can do it at a high level. They fired half of them in the last three months. They're just wow. doing it purely uh, automatic translation, word for word. I mean, I'm, using, I'm using it right here. I'm using large language models for, uh, it makes my job a lot easier. Yeah, uh, I actually need less people. I can take, you know, 40, 50 pages of research, pump it into a large language model. Give me the five bullet points I need right now uh, before the market opens. It's a real, real time saver. Yeah, my my new best friend is bardgoogle.com because they're actually a real time. Uh, they're not, they don't give you the well. I only go to October twenty twenty two, so sorry. And this whole i this this whole this whole thing of large language models, as we saw with the lawsuit this week, you can't in Europe. You're going to have a, a rule that's coming out very soon that is going to say that if you can't show the origin of your content and the copyright status of your content. Then you have face a two million to ten million dollar fine per incident uh, because you Europe actually cares about copyrights. The United States is like let's just steal it until somebody like sends us a cease and desist order, uh, yeah. and and that that is rapidly coming. That's probably, the other a, that's, pro that's probably a risk out there, and I guess it begs the question: Do uh, does do all the spoils go to the Microsofts of the world because they have the capital? to pay these for these patents and pay these this access. I know some of them are just started licensing licensing from the New York Times. Yeah, for a, for a million a year, there. they're stealing 100 million of, of media. That seems like a pretty good business model, David. Just steal 100 million worth of media and then pay a million bucks for it. Pretty good, right? <laughs> so, David, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Because we, we open it with your thoughts on a possible recession, but I think you're looking at historical data and you were looking at, at where our interest rates are right now. What do you think? I mean, because it does seem like, based on your analysis, that we will have a, a higher I'll, risk. I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you some of the re, some of the ways they could that they could play out. I mean, rates okay. are, rates are going to come down, but let's hope they come down for the right reasons. Because right now the market is pricing in all these cuts, but we may find that the last mile of inflation is a little tougher to get to. We had a CPI print this morning. I think it was 0.3 a little bit hotter than expected uh, month over month. Year over year, we've been kind of sideways for about a month right now. Uh, so to get down to that 2% target for the Fed, that might take a little bit. Uh, well, remember, 45% of the, of the print today was shelter costs. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a big port. That's a big and they're not going By the way, uh, I, I hope that comes out a little harder because my rent rolls over pretty soon and I'm going to have to sign a new <laughs> lease. And I could really use a break because I didn't get a break last year. No, I mean, uh, you know, depending where you live, we have this big United States thing. So it's 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 a, you know an example of one. But I mean, everybody knows the, the issue. If you have this two or three percent mortgage, you're not moving. You're not going to go to you know house. Forty percent of the homes in the United States are owned free and clear now, David. Um, yeah. So that's, how, that's how real estate. 
You can't move. Yeah, that's real move. estate. I'm a home real estate. I'm talking about residential real estate. So yeah, so I move, move it, well, moving back to the interest rate argument, yeah. though, the one thing I noticed in today's report, I don't see a two anywhere in sight. And no. how is it that the Fed could possibly cut rates if we don't even have a two handle at this point? Well, I think I I, I can let me make an argument for that because Jay yeah. Powell said it in the last press conference. He was asked the question, "Will you cut rates?" Uh, before you get to 2%. And he said, he pretty much implied likely because there's a lag effect to, to rate cuts. And if they wait till two, they're too late. All right. Then, then, then the, the economy, the economy will roll over. Uh, I don't think they want to make that mistake. So my guess is that the idea that they're going to, you know, cut in March, that's probably not going to happen. It's probably sometime later than that. And, but look at, we've already priced that in. And you got valuations in the market right now where 22 times earnings right now. That's pretty much the upper end of where we've lived for the last decade. A decade, mind you, where where Fed funds rate was probably about average, about 300 basis points lower than, than it is right now. Yeah, so, right. Right now, we would need either some kind of productivity bump. Maybe AI gives us that. Some kind of productivity bump. But if rates don't start to come down, then maybe that multiple is going to come back down to 19. And then you take 19 times uh, maybe 217 instead of two, sorry, 19 times 242, which is the number that we're looking at for two, for, for 2024. Yeah. That's about where we are right now. Yeah, dude, I never, I'm sorry, I just never buy the mathematic argument. Uh, like, geez, I'm now going to sell my stocks because it's hit uh, this certain, you know, valuation in the fact that that's the entire market. And the idea that, that, uh, you know, if you have a business model like a meta, for, and two two points. Here. Number one, Meta had the age of enlightenment last year, right? And they cut eighty thousand, you know, employees, and shockingly, their stocks up two hundred twenty five percent. If I'm on the at the board meeting this January, if I'm on a board of the company, I'm saying, remember all those Nimrods that we hired, you know, in two thousand one, two thousand two? We're not getting money. Out. Do you see what happened to Facebook stock when they got rid of you know twenty one percent of their employees? Yeah. Google fired five percent. I mean, what you're going to see is this great enlightenment, I believe, over all companies. I think companies. a lot of that came from Elon Musk when he went into Twitter and he, he cut, the, the, for, yeah. the, the, cut the, the workforce probably in half and it was still working. And in some cases, I thought it was working even better. better. Yeah. Every CEO of every major technology company on the planet looked and goes, holy crap. We That's put smart, that, yeah, smart I mean, that, thought there. Yeah. I mean, he sort of gave them permission and their boards to... Like yeah. have their age of great enlightenment. And oh, by the way, can you tell me what David does over there in the freaking right hand corner? No. Bye bye. Um, whereas right. during the pandemic and post pandemic, there was such a rush to working from home and this and that and so on and so forth. And, you know, uh, and, you you know, sales went up and margins went up. So you, you could reasonably do it. But if we're going to return to reality on the output of, of people on, on working from home, Etc. Then my argument for the year would be that the earnings for the ones I care about, the actual growing companies that are highly profitable, I believe they're going to have their margins increase. Um, and then there's the large uh, law of large uh, numbers. You know, the, the more they the more they get in customers, the more they get the feedback loop, the positive feedback loop of more revenue, and and then they become the ones who always you know meet or beat on the quarter. So now I don't have to wear my pretty little head about what the hell's going to go on with XYZ company um, that's in the mid range. And then if you look, what was interesting to me today is like the Russell 2000 was supposed to be right. The reversion trade. Another word I just can't freaking stand as just somebody other than a, 
computer would just say, oh, gosh, it's down 14% from its normal rate, so I'm going to buy all Russell 2000. No. That that's a, that can be a dangerous trade. You know, yeah. uh, I, I taught I, a great teacher of mine from, from my days of Lehman, uh, a guy named Dan, Dan Niles, uh, really bright guy. He once told, said, look, at when, when you're bottom fishing and you're going in at the bottom and you think you're getting a good valuation, you need a catalyst. You need you need what's going to change at this yes. company that's going to turn this thing around. Otherwise, it, it can be a value trap. Yeah, and remember that I mean, again, I always look every day before we do this show. There's 79% of the trades today were, uh, you know, automatic algo computer. The algo is not looking for the bottom dweller. There's no algorithm that says, oh, gosh, this stock is down 40% and the earnings are only down like 19%. So I should buy this stock. Well, that's bullshit. The algo says that Arista Networks, our number one performing stock in the last 12 months, just hit a new high on higher volume. Uh, hasn't issued any stock, is on a relative basis, on a forward basis, because Dan Niles will be the first one to tell you that, hey, NVIDIA on a forward basis is about a 27 PE. And wouldn't you want to own a company on a 27 PE that's going to add another $3 billion of sales? Or are you going to try to say, well, let's get SM uh, something, something that's beat the crap and it's a great value. Well, that hasn't worked for I don't know how long, David. But it's, I've known you a long I think, time. I think Nvidia is a is a great example. You take Nvidia and, and compare it to say what was the largest company on the planet, Apple. I think Microsoft actually passed today. Yeah. And look at the difference in the numbers. You got you know Nvidia was up two hundred and thirty percent last year, and the multiple went lower. We went lower, Apple, right? Had a good year. It was up about 50%, but it was all multiple expansion. You're paying 29 times for a company that's growing low single digits. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I, I just, I just, I'm going to go back. This, you know, we always go back to what's the safety trade. The safety trade is Megatech compounding uh, yield, or excuse me, compounding earnings at about 18%. And on a forward basis, which you can now project so much better, certainly on the software side, because nobody cancels their ServiceNow contract. Nobody cancels their- A recession you know, would even enhance that even more because in a recession, you're going to want to grow. Growth is the most expensive when there isn't any. And, and when there's no growth, like in a recession, NVIDIA and these other companies, they, they, they may grow slower, but they're going to grow. They're going to grow. And if I'm going to hide out somewhere, that's probably a place I'm going to hide. Yeah, I know. I know yeah. Charlie Munger is rolling over in his grave right now. But Charlie Munger did have it right when he taught uh, uh, Buffett that you don't buy these cigar butts, these you know companies that are look like they're on life support. You buy a company that's got a giant moat that can grow, that has high profit margins, et cetera. And they've done OK. But I, they're the only value, whatever freaking value means, that's, that really has worked. And one of the things is because they own so many companies privately and they generate so much, you know, cash flow and they buy back their stock and, you know, they, they do a yeah. lot of things to manufacture those, uh, you know, the earnings. But they're, uh, you know, sui generi, right? They're a, a group of yeah. one. And for the regular they, normal operating company right now, man, I'd love to have zero incremental costs. Your service now, you have a 52,000 account. You bring out the new AI business and you don't have to pay a commission to the salesperson because they already paid a commission on so now yeah, when you add me, on it, now, you, now you're making me mad because I, I sold my service now too early and, and I have <laughs> seller's remorse. Uh, well, it's just, I, I it's just really the incremental profit it. is like 98% um, versus, you know, maybe 75% because you had to pay, all, you know, there, fees. You know, but that, there's a conversation right there. If a lot of these companies... You know, these quote unquote, these software companies, the, the gross margins on them are just through the roof. And this is why, why we love these companies. But AI could actually, you know, cannibalize 
a lot of the profitability of some of the of some of these companies because some of these platforms could actually be done away with uh with with by by smaller companies coming out with an AI with a new AI product because the code is writing itself. You don't need an army of engineers to write well, this that's stuff. For true. It's turning a simple coder with marginal skills into a super coder, writing millions and millions of uh, lines of lines of code. I have no idea whether it's gonna gonna whether or not that's gonna happen or not, but it's certainly something I'm looking at. Super coder, I like that, guys. Well, let's leave it there on this block because coming up next, we have to ask David what his thoughts are on Boeing. He's been all over the news, all over the financial press. Everybody is asking him because he's also a commercial pilot. So he is an expert's expert to speak on the subject. So no, with us today, I've known David for like 20 years. I've never seen him fly a freaking jet, okay? Come on. <laughs> he's flying to all those concerts. So, right. so with us today, we have David Nelson. He is Bellpoint's chief strategist and also host of the Money Runner podcast. We will have some information for you in the description on the Money Runner podcast. We welcome the audience to go check it out. But we'll be yeah. right back after the break. Please stay and with us. And it follows the Drug Run Runner podcast. So Perfect. <laughs> Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast welcome to don't retire graduate the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. This is Jessica from Jay Walker Salon Group, and you're watching Tobin and Todd from Buy, Hold, Sell. Stocks finished flatline today, despite the inflation report coming in hotter than expected. There's all kinds of reasons for that, but it does have a lot of traders wondering, will we be seeing rate cuts as planned as early as March? No. No. 
No, no, no. I say no, no. I say not even maybe second half, but that's a whole other story there, Toby. So with us today, we have David Nelson. He is the chief strategist at Bell Point. He's also host of the Money Runner podcast. David, on the Money Runner podcast, how can people listen to it? Go to YouTube. Uh, Just look for the Money Runner uh, hosted by David Nelson, and you'll find us there. Uh, also on Spotify, but most of my fans, uh, you know, go go to YouTube uh, right now. We just had a, a, a our last interview was with Dan Niles, went really well. Dan, Fantastic. I love him. I love. Well, him. I didn't realize that you worked with him at Lehman. Actually, yeah, when I was at uh, Lehman in two thousand, in two thousand, they brought Dan Niles in as a senior analyst, and it was a real marquee move. Uh, you yeah, know, he, he was really well thought of back then. They built a hedge fund around him all through. Right. He was the there Satori long after fund. I left. I left in 2001 and he was probably at Lehman, I think, right up until the bitter end. Yeah. Uh, then he broke out and he started uh, the Satori Fund. Brilliant money manager, brilliant mind. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the, in the last podcast I did with him, he really talks about how he goes in here. You're talking about a guy who was actually in in uh in Facebook, what it was like, you know, just above 90 in Intel at the absolute bottom. He knows he knows how to do that. That's great. Hey, Todd, That's n- great. Note to self, let me contact Dan and get him on it. And, and so <laughs> he'll say some he'll say some nice things about David. Uh, you know, Dan Niles, okay, right, he's a bright guy, etc. But did he ever play lead guitar for you know the animals? For yeah, the turtles. For the, for the oh, turtles. I'm sorry, for the turtles. Isn't a turtle an animal for crying out loud? The turtles. And and that's the other thing. We do, He is the lead guitarist for the turtles, or was a lead guitarist for the turtles. We're trying to get him to uh, sing or strum a few songs of happy together, strum, you know, chords of happy together for us, but maybe next time. So, but David, I got to ask you, let's switch topics on this. Uh, as much fun it is as it is to go down memory lane, we do need to talk about something that just happened last week. And that's uh, on a Boeing 737. We had... Alaska Airlines flight taken off from Portland, Oregon, all of a sudden had a blowout on the side. Thank God nobody was hurt or killed. But David, you've been talking about Boeing nonstop because you are a commercial pilot. So what's the story? Because the stock dropped. It was up today, though, surprisingly. Are traders thinking the worst is over? I'm not sure. I actually was long the shares uh, when that took place. I exited. I chose to, to to leave the shares. Yeah. I've been down this path before. These things usually take some time. Uh, look, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, you know, the plane, after it had left Portland, it was passing through 16,000 feet in the climb. Uh, and that's where the, uh, the plug, they call it a plug, and it takes the place of the emergency exits. That's where it blew out. If it had been at cruise altitude, say 35, 36,000 feet, uh, I'm convinced there would have been loss of life. Yeah. Uh, that's when people are standing up. The air pressure differential at that level would have sucked out anything that wasn't bolted down. Uh, so they they skated through that, but it really brings back the the entire mindset. There's some kind of culture thing going on at at uh, at Boeing, and it really goes back to the history of this plane. A little history on this: the Max and the 737. The 737 was around in the 60s. It was a real workhorse, a fantastic plane. And they had to make a decision on making a new airplane with advanced avionics and new engines. And they decided not to go from scratch because it would have meant a a big delay because of regulatory issues. Mm -hmm. So they stretched the airplane. And that's when all kinds of problems started to happen. They stretched the plane on a couple of new engines, some new avionics. We had the tragic uh, crashes in 2018, 2019. And this is just kind of another black eye. I don't think it's anywhere near as severe as that, but I decided to step aside. 
You know, David, I, I was intrigued by a, a report I, I heard last night, which basically said this. This is for a ex Boeing uh, engineer. He said, you know, uh, I was hired uh, like in 1958 in Reston, Washington, and I helped build 747s and 737s, et cetera. But the executives were right next to the manufacturing area. And then all of a sudden, the executives decided that we're going to move the executives to Chicago for God knows why, except maybe they gave them, you know, free rent for five years or something. Um, and then they moved to Northern Virginia to be closer to the defense industry. And he said, when you separated when you just didn't have, have the fear that the CEO was going to come down and, and, you know, grill you on questions or the chief safety officer was not physically in the building where you're making the planes. He said that changed the culture. Does that ring true, you think? Yeah, I think that does ring true. You know, there was a time for pilots. Uh, you know, if, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. That was the mm -hmm. that was the phrase that was out there. And as the company decided to really press on with manufacturing, and once they started the 730 Max, 737 Max line, it sold like hotcakes. But then they they found and and really kind of hid the fact that there were some real design flaws in the plane. And oh, they had wow. put in uh, almost a little automatic pilot to help make up for those design flaws. They never even told the pilots about it. That was the well, real. Well, what were the design the real flaws? scandal when you when you when you when you stretch the plane all right the aerodynamics are different when you put on new engines right they're much bigger, bigger. So now you've got to raise the plane up they had a i believe they had to raise the the nose gear up a little bit the design of the aircraft gets a little different they found some flight instability so they put on some automatic uh they, it was called an mcas system and that actually caused the death of 346 uh, uh people because it it failed but what was even worse is the pilots didn't even know it was there. Yeah. When the plane was going out of control. This is obviously much smaller, but this was also, I believe the the reason the plug is put in is because the configuration of the seats on the Alaska plane was a little different than other Max 9s. Because remember, only 170 aircraft were grounded. There's more Max 9s than that. They weren't, they didn't all have this plug. And uh, this this blew out. It was tragic. And now that I saw a headline from United Airlines, I don't know if it's true or not, loose bolts. That doesn't sound like, uh, it, it doesn't sound like the Boeing of old. Well, I, I, I couldn't believe that the, the FAA waited like three days to, come out and slap their you know what it's but the government. you read about this if, if you just look up on that you know bar google.com incidents of uh yeah excuse me bolts that are missing on on you know uh, commercial airlines they're all boeings now how can you know after the 46th reporting of loose bolts or missing a bolt wouldn't that sort of like raise a few red flags at least with me it should and 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 this is what this is the reason why i exited it because even if they get this right all right, there's going to be a tendency by the FAA and the NTSB to go all the way over to the other side yeah, and maybe right, even be right. more cautious and and drag their feet in terms of approving things. So I, I don't have enough information. And when I don't have enough information, I just got to sit back and you know what? I got to sit back here, watch this thing play out, because well, even at this level, it's it's not a cheap stock right now. It's still it's still a fairly expensive. Oh, yeah. Company. 226. Yeah. So what is the, I'm just curious if you know this, the cost for one of these planes, one of these 737s? I don't know. Uh, okay. I'm guessing a couple of hundred million dollars. I'm not sure. Because uh, when an airline buys, I mean, they put in a contract, they're buying dozens of these 737s. Yeah, but so. they're actually not buying them, Todd. Airlease is buying them. Quintus is buying it. They don't own any of those parking planes. They lease them from the airplane lessors who, because of, the, of, of their, you know, located in Ireland and other places, they have tax benefits. 
Um, well, I got that. You, but somebody's buying them. I know. It's, a it's leasing company's buying them. Like, and then they're leasing them to the airlines. And the actual end result of that is another reason why um, they're going to have problems. It's shame on, you know, I messed up one, shame on me. But you mess up again, it's shame on you. And so yeah. I'm told for my, my pilot friends that the, the leasing companies are going to get a real shakedown from the FAA as well. Um, they, they, in theory, sign away all their liability when they lease it to these guys. It's a triple net lease and it's just a financial lease. But I don't think that's going to cut it either. I, I'll give you an indicator to look at. Uh, if you're looking at there to to make if you own the shares or if you're looking to buy the shares. Yeah. Watch the order book. The bright spot of all this is Boeing was sitting on forty five hundred orders for this aircraft. Uh, we're going to need Amazing. a massive amount of aircraft yeah. over, over the next 20 years. That's the good side of it. All right. So watch the order book. If that holds and increases, it's probably safe to go in. But if you start to see that it deteriorate and, and some airline pulls back and say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to switch over to Airbus uh, for, for that order that I'm getting three, four years from now. That would be a real negative. Well, that's a good, that's a very, very good point. I'm sure somebody's going to start a newsletter that's a service just on counting the, the, the order, order book. book. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's yeah. a newsletter for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, it's not enough. It's not about me enough, David. That's why I wouldn't really do it. So, so uh, uh, we'll say removing the airlines on the travel and leisure sector, though. What are your thoughts? Are you bullish? I own one stock in that sector. I own I own Expedia. Uh, it's a new purchase for me. It and believe me, I didn't get in at the bottom. Uh, but it did have about a six, seven percent pullback uh, after hitting it, you know, a recent high. Yeah. I looked at the numbers and these are these companies are free cash flow machines. I mean, the free cash flow yields are pretty high. The negative of the company is 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 they've been inconsistent. You know, they get it right one quarter and the next quarter they blow up. I have to look beyond that a little bit when I see these kind of numbers, because an earnings report, we're going into earnings actually starting tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, an earnings report is not just it's not just a, a a report card on how good or bad the company did and the health of the company. It's a report card on Wall Street and the analysts. How good a job did they did did they do in getting the number right? Very often your opportunity comes because the company hits the guidance that they laid out, but maybe the Wall Street got too bullish on it. They missed the number. Stock goes down. Nothing's really changed at the company. That's an opportunity. Yeah. Well, I, what I like about Expedia. It is global. I mean, it is literally global in every uh, developed country in the world. So you get the benefit, obviously, post-pandemic of people pin up tr travel, et cetera. It's very easy to use. I use it uh, uh, almost every time I travel because I get everything right there and it's got all my numbers in there and yada, yada. And the incremental sale, as they say, on the software is they've already paid for the software. So there's no more, the very little platform there's a lot of memory and a lot of you know hard computing, but that's now all in the cloud. So um, I, I I like the business. I, 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 I love definitely... I love the company right now. Long term, I I would put as a caveat. My biggest concern is is actually AI. AI could maybe go in there and take a younger company and maybe maybe able to do some of those things with a, a more oh, yeah. more cost efficient way. Well, um, I mean that's in the future. Yeah, OpenAI one of the one of the apps that they've been advertising is um, essentially, okay, I, I need to go from Scottsdale to San Francisco to Idaho, back down to Texas, et cetera. Um, make that happen. It's there, <laughs> yeah. and, you know. 
it's 20 pretty seconds. scary stuff. It's pretty scary yeah. stuff. Yeah. Show me where all the Chick Fil A's are. Yeah. So, so uh, David, let's uh, let's talk about favorite sectors before we close out the show. You can't say technology though. Everybody says technology. Give us a different sector. Give us something. Yeah. Please that give the us sectors that hear. underperform, just so Todd can like you know make a clip. I would say give us an exclusive a sector David, outside of technology that I'm 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 long now that wasn't underperformer that would have to be healthcare. What was I it? Guess, healthcare. Healthcare. Oh, healthcare. Uh, I would say my favorite name in the space right now is Merck. Uh, there's a lot of choices out there, but Merck had a bad year from an early st uh, standpoint last year uh, because of some accounting issues and because of because of a, a large purchase that they made. You're going to see a massive bump uh, in earnings this year, and I'm going to leave you with one number: 19 billion, 19 billion in free cash flow for cash this flow, year. Yeah. That equates to about 6.7 percent free cash flow yield. So I'm kind of comfortable there. Where I'm a little nervous. Service is an, an, an area that I exited where uh, the pharmacy benefit man manufacturers like uh, McKesson uh, and some of the others. I was concerned there that the numbers are great. They're, they're minting money, but there is so much potential regulatory pressure coming on these companies because of the lack of transparency. I think that's an area that could get hit. Yeah, I would, I would add that. Um, so CVS, which owns their own PBM and, and, and et cetera. And McKesson, we actually are along McKesson simply because they're the largest GLP-1 distributor. And the price that, you know, front-end fee of $1,500 a stick, uh, that's not what McKesson pays. And McKesson buys at a significantly lower price and uh, like $325. And then to get market share for other stuff, they're going to the, the, the pharmacies that are not you know, part of Amazon or part of them or United Health, and they're selling a ton, and they're getting a very nice margin because the margin in dis distribution are not very good. But in this particular case, they they're getting a and, great amount. And of I'll margin leave you with the caveat on McKesson. You know, I'm a quant, and a lot of what I do is is model based. McKesson ranks at the top uh, from a model standpoint. I yeah. can't dispute the numbers. There. The numbers are fantastic. My decision was really just subjective because of what I fear from government. But the numbers right now, you look at a spreadsheet, it's hard, it's hard to deny what you're saying. Yeah, I just it's 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 you know, it's this the or the second order derivative. Uh the GLP success has created this huge demand. They're now building more uh, supply. And um McKesson has the franchise where the non-aligned pharmacies and and uh, you know Walmart and so on and so forth depends on them. And as opposed, you know, it's just the law of big numbers. A lot of their generics are selling, you know, a wholesale for 75 cents a bottle and it costs them 55 cents. But in this one, they're buying it for, uh, you know, 80, $75, $80. They're selling it to uh, Walmart at 350 And then Walmart is making no money on it because most of their people are getting it from Medicaid or from, Medi uh, from Medicare Advantage. And those prices are fixed. So, they're they're in the sweet spot of the GLP. I like it. Uh, phenomenon. I like it a lot. There's some good. There's a, definitely some good advice for the audience. That's for sure. So, guys, we're going to leave it right there. We're going to close out the show. David, you were wonderful once again. Are you still strumming the guitar? My guitar days are over. Uh, <laughs> I, the closest I get to a guitar is one I got hanging on my wall. Uh, okay. All right. Well, he, he's also got a few gold records too. All right. So let's not. There you go. I can't I stand you, Melody, David. Concert. You, 
You know that. I hate humility. <laughs> Outstanding. So everybody, so check out David Nelson's podcast on YouTube. Look up Money Runner for, with David David Nelson. You can check all that out, see what he has to say. Some wonderful interviews. I know we'll be taking a look at it as well. So on behalf of oh, David, thank you so much for joining us on Buy, thank Hold, Sell. I got to thank you for that. Thanks for having me. I hope, we can, I hope you have me back soon. Oh, hell yeah. You got that right. So on behalf of David Nelson and Tobin Smith, I am Todd Schoenberger. Thank you once again for joining us on Buy, Hold, Sell. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one?